Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Exploring Kodawari. Sorry we missed a few weeks. Things have been a bit hectic here as we prepare to move at the end of the month, but we do have a few guests lined up for the rest of December, and then once we settle into our new location in January, we'll try to get back to a regular schedule. Okay, so, is the self an illusion? Basically, I use this episode as a way to force myself to talk and think through a really fascinating and also disturbing concept from meditation and philosophy. And since it's hard to articulate and usually stays in that weird conceptual space underneath language, this was my excuse to try and talk out loud about whether the self is an illusion. When people say that the self is an illusion, they don't mean that you are not real, but that the I that you feel like you are the centered subject behind your eyes that's looking out at the world is what the illusion is. And like all illusions, this feeling of I goes away when you learn to look at it in the right way. And there are actually specific techniques designed to give you this experience. I know it can sound crazy put into words, but it is a real experience, and I promise that it's not that woo-woo, overly gooey type of spirituality. In fact, I submit that most people listening have actually had this experience, either without realizing it or without the language or concepts to describe it. It's the feeling of self-transcendence, of union with whatever you're doing in the present moment. Since a lot of our audience are musicians, I would say that you may have felt this while performing. When you fall into a flow state and you feel like you are not playing anymore, but that something else has taken over. It's transcending what philosopher Alan Watts calls the myth of the skin-encapsulated ego. Anyways, this concept, it's called non-duality or non-dual awareness, by the way, has really helped me in life, so I wanted to share my experience with practicing it and point you to some resources to further check it out. So is the self an illusion? Short answer, yes and no. Long answer, keep listening to the rest of the episode, I guess. Um, yeah, while my analytical brain likes to dig into the details, I think the concept of non-dual awareness is best left to this quote by Tibetan Lama and meditation master Kalu Rinpoche. It's about the fear of being nothing and how we must accept that human beings are creatures of paradox. He says, You live in illusion and the appearance of things. There is a reality, but you do not awaken to it. When you see it, you will realize you are nothing, and in being nothing, you are everything. That is all. All right, thanks for listening. Please remember to donate if you like what you hear and you want to help support us. I should say thanks to your not-self for listening, and enjoy our exploration of non-duality. All right, we're gone. All Hello. Right. Hello. I'm sorry. I was in the middle of reading something. Um, so as per usual, we're sharing some wine. What are we drinking tonight? You have the bottle. Argentine. It's um, Amado Sur Red Blend from uh, uh, Men Mendoza, Argentina. So we're hoping that this helps helps induce us to lose our sense of self. And dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Topic reveal. Um, so I've obviously like done a lot more, I don't know, um, exploring, researching, trying to experience shh, the, so, <laughs> the, the so-called sense of self illusion, right? Mm -hmm. Or non-duality, or um, in Buddhism, it's called anatta. Um, can we, before we get into the non-duality, the self is an illusion type topic, just talk about consciousness itself? Like just briefly, just... What is consciousness? What would you say if you were asked that, which you are being right now? Um, I would answer that as, I I think probably a lot of people, I, I don't know, people will probably struggle to answer this, but I think a common answer might be, like, it's the thing, like, behind my eyes or something. That's how people describe it. No? Just well, that's, that's, I mean, I guess so what sees like through my eyes almost like is your consciousness i'm not but if your eyes are closed then what is consciousness if you're blind what's what is inside my brain like uh, there are a lot of ways of defining it i guess the contents inside of your brain right yeah i mean not that i think that's what it is but like it's i asked you what you think it is <laughs> and you're like a lot of people no i'm just say... saying yeah probably that's what people will say probably that's what i would say until very recently but Right now, I'm not, I'm not sure. Like, it's not, the answer is not that simple for me now. I know oh, that. Oh, the answer is not simple even if you're like a hardcore, you know, per, you're researching this and, and you're a philosopher or a neuroscientist or something. Um, the, the point is it's a really hard thing to define. Mm -hmm. um, the best, I, I mean, I wrote a, 
an article on this a couple months ago, but basically consciousness is experience. Subjective okay. experience, right? When you see the color blue, there's an experience of seeing blue. It's not just the firing of neurons. Mm -hmm. Is a bat conscious? Is a, a a squirrel conscious? Definitely, probably not in the same way we are. They probably are. Too, but they have an experience, right? Do we have, all have the same consciousness? Do everybody well, see everything the same way also? Well, you don't even know if I'm conscious, right? How would you know? What's your proof? Exactly. I believe you, I guess. Okay. <laughs> I was hoping you would combat against me with, with the sort of common um, intuitions that say like, well, of course, we, you knew this. You know, if I told you like, you have no way to prove I'm conscious, what, what would be your instinctual answer back? I mean, I don't know. That, that I would say like, yeah, there is like really no way of proving it. Like I would just like back off at that point. I'm like, I, I think you're right. What, what can you prove then? about consciousness. Mm. I don't know, I feel very much quizzed. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, it's not a quiz. I was just trying to like poke you um to if if you've never, you know, read about philosophy of consciousness or something, it's just funny to poke at people's intuitions about what they think it is and then when you look more deeply what what's actually there. And of course, the whole illusion of the self thing is something that um requires you to look deeply in one sense, but also, as we'll get to, it's actually right on the surface. You don't have to look deeply to realize that the sense of self doesn't exist. But generally, this thing called the mind-body problem, have you heard of that? Yeah. What do you, what, I'm not going to quiz you. <laughs> <laughs> I think like we have the wrong type of roles in this podcast. <laughs> Something I sound like I'm the expert. Nope. So the mind-body problem is essentially the idea that there's no known way right now to figure out how does a subjective experiencer, right, someone who has consciousness, arise out of matter. Whether that's a simulation on a computer, we could be simulations on a computer, we could be ones and zeros and all, you know, on some alien hard drive who's having fun with like Sims, <laughs> you know, alien version. <laughs> or we could just be what we probably are or certainly what seems to be the case, which is somehow in the complexity of our neurons firing in our head, consciousness arises out of that, right? Yeah. And then in humans especially, and some primates like orangutans and chimpanzees, some sense of self-awareness also arises. You don't just, you know, blindly do your activities in the world like a robot, but there's an awareness that you're separate from nature, right? Uh, they do this with a red dot test. They put little children in front of a mirror with a dot on their head, mm -hmm. and they'll point to themselves. They'll realize that the dot is on their head. Mm -hmm. Chimpanzees do this. I think orangutans do this, and maybe other primates, but um, kids below a certain age can't do that. So there's something developmentally and com complexity-wise in the brain that allows self-awareness, right? Mm -hmm. Which is not exactly the self that we're gonna talk about today. Um, self gets used a lot. But just before we get into th that, just to reiterate, consciousness is very mysterious. But when you use a definition that it's just experience, then you realize that's fundamentally all there is. Everything in your life could be an illusion, but the experience of consciousness is still that. Mm -hmm. Is that fundamentally what's going on in the materialistic world with atoms and stuff? Who knows, maybe atoms aren't real. Again, it could be a simulation. Yeah, we named them atoms. Like, we don't know. <laughs> well, atom is just a sound I'm making with my mouth, but it represents a concept. And more importantly, it represents complex math that's really precise, right? Yeah. But still, at the end of the day, that could all be fake. But what can't be fake is the fact that I, Luke, exists, right? We'll get to the feeling of I in a second. But does that, does am I making sense? I don't know if yeah, you Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, like, that also can be faked, but there's no way for us to know that it's being faked because we're in that like experience. No, but my point is it can't be faked How? because I'm defining consciousness as experience and I'm having an experience. So what th so that is real. So experience cannot be faked? Like you think? What do you mean by having... faked? I, I, like I have what do you mean by faked? I've already admitted I could be on an alien hard drive, right? Yeah. So that is that faking? 
I mean, maybe. I'm saying yeah. the fact like that I have subjectivity. I don't know you have it. Your experience can be faked is what I'm trying to say. What experience? Like the, the fact of me the, having one or the details The fact of it. that you have a consciousness, I'm saying. I'm saying that can't be faked. It's the one thing in the universe that cannot be faked. How? Because the definition is lifting itself up by a, like what a boot, if you're, its own bootstrap. It's like completely out of your perception that... But I'm no. still having a perception and I defined that as consciousness. Okay, anyway. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I, I understand you, but... Like, it gets I, a little circular, the... but it's the only thing you can know for sure. The only definition of anything in your worldview, if you poke at your worldview enough, it's the only definition that you don't need to make a prior assumption about. Even science needs to make what they call a priori assumptions, right? You say, I assume this is true and therefore I can build all this consistent knowledge on top of it. But you don't have to do that with consciousness. If you just exist, you, you're having a subjective experience, doing nothing, skydiving, whatever it is, there's an experience, right? So this is the mind-body problem. And it's like what they call an epistemological gap. It means like it's there are two different categories of knowledge, subjective and objective, right? We can make correlations between them so they take out a part of your brain or you have a stroke or something and things about your consciousness seem to go away. You might lose sense of one side of your body or not be able to speak or not be able to, you know, see out of one eye, whatever the thing is, consciousness changes, right? Mm -hmm. And sp specifically, even not just like physical things, but your ability to to think, right? Remember that, um, that Jill... I, want, I wanted to say Jill Bolt, but maybe that's not her name. She she had that TED Talk. Yeah, um, she had a stroke. Yeah, this, yeah, it was called My Stroke of Insight, I think. Mm -hmm. And she was talking about as she was having the stroke, she was trying to dial 911 and she's looking at her telephone and, and then the numbers things, became yeah. like hieroglyphics and like symbols she couldn't read. But then some blood would pump back to that left brain area where language and reading and all of that is. And then she would see the numbers and quickly try to dial it. And she was going in and out of these, mm -hmm. these, these abilities of consciousness were going away as those circuitry, right? So there's definitely a connection between consciousness and the brain. Yeah, for sure. But there's a gap between the brain and the idea of having a subjective experience. That's all I'm saying. Okay, I think I understand. That. So it's like you, can, you can't reduce consciousness to just the firing of neurons. The Fra Francis Crick, who's a famous British molecular biologist, said, we are, quote, nothing but a pack of neurons. It's like, no. He's like kind of leaving out a bunch All of... All the subjective. Like, yeah, exactly. And that's a very... Um, in the beginning of Jordan Peterson's book, Maps and Meaning, the very first paragraph says, basically, you know, there's two fundamentally different ways to build a, a model of reality in the world. One is that the world is made up of objects, and the other is that the world is a forum for action, meaning it's a setting where you're deciding how to act, right? Mm -hmm. That's the subjective. Whereas the world is made out of atoms and following the laws of physics is objective or materialist, but there's a gap there. And so they call, the, the philosopher David Hume calls this the hard problem of consciousness. It means even if we map every neuron of the brain, there's still this knowledge gap, this epistemological gap mm -hmm. between objective, pointing out every neuron connection, the trillions and trillions of connections, and what it's like to fall in love or to eat our dinner later right, and, and the experience of that. Makes us different. Tell me if I'm saying something really stupid, but that's what make us makes us different from AI or something. That's why until it Well, right now that seems to be, but maybe eventually we will build an AI complex enough and what they say is the lights will come on, meaning some consciousness will come on. I mean, a, a, a newborn baby is maybe conscious. Maybe that's how we were not... made, you know? Someone meant us to be like AIs and then, okay, whatever. Well, wh there's Sorry. that's one possibility is that, that we're part of some cycle where our goal is to build But I'm just saying maybe like we AI were not designed that... to be self-aware, but then it was a mistake ah. and we became self-aware. And then Do you remember what we were just watching last night? True uh -oh. Detective? Oh, yeah. So one of the scenes in True Detective, if you remember, I think it's from episode one. He he's I mean he's very nihilistic. Uh, Matthew McConaughey's character, mm -hmm. Russ Cole, and he he says I, I believe um, human consciousness was a misstep, 
in evolution oh shit was that like in the episode that was in episode one yeah i don't think it was oh, in episode last, one. last I night see. okay because i was like did i subconsciously pick that information and i used it as mine but i don't think I possibly remember. i also talk about it like every day on a morning walk right so <laughs> like um and and he says i it was a tragic misstep in evolution nature created something separate from itself right and then of course he takes it one step further couple steps further than i'm willing to by saying like i think the noble thing for our species to do is walk hand in hand into extinction oh i, I mean he's saying there's something about the, this feeling of being a self that is our consciousness goes against nature nature created something separate from itself right and then of course all these spiritual practices meditation practices and and buddhism and other religions although it depends on the religion um they're about getting rid of that separateness and realizing you're not actually separate, right? But again, we're just talking, we're playing with the dials of consciousness. Mm -hmm. So it's just worth kind of thinking like consciousness emerges from matter, almost definitely. Mm -hmm. I don't think we have a separate soul. That's like what they, what a lot of religious people think. You're a bag of meat and, and then, then some kind soul. of essence of soul yeah. is in you. And that's like different. Yeah, I, I don't believe in that either. Like, I don't think, I, I think some it goes spirit, hand right? in hand something. Yeah. By the way, spiritus but means breath, right? People usually try to mean the same thing. They just have a different language for it. I think mm, you should. Yes. And yes, I mean, a lot of science religion debates are, are talking past each other because of that. Yeah. It's like, hey, we're talking about subjective and objective. And the question is, is does the objective world exist? And then we're humans who built this subjective mythology and all this other truth. Or is it the subjective world? Is consciousness primary and the idea of an objective, whatever, you know, like you can play around with mm -hmm. what are your deep assumptions that make you build reality? So just let's get to the, the self now. Self-identity, right? That's one concept of the self. It's sort of like, who are you? How would you answer that question? Who am I? Have you ever looked in like a puddle? <laughs> And said, who am I? Oh, yeah. A lot as a kid. I don't remember looking at a puddle, actually. But I mean, I don't think it was that specific, but you got the idea. I actually don't even remember really asking that as a kid. I think I was just so lost in the dream, like, nature of huh. of just doing things. I It wasn't until I was age 25 that I actually asked myself the question, like, what is You became online. Like Something came online. <laughs> yeah, before that, I, I feel like I was just very, I was like a a robot just following my programming, so to speak. Interesting. I would always I mean, ask. obviously I wasn't on some level, depending on the whole free will thing. Let's not get into that. But, yeah. you know, I didn't reflect like, what am I? And now I tend to do that all the time, like maybe too much, right? There's a certain, anyways. Yeah, this whole thing. I was just going to say like, maybe you had a- Please stop me anytime I, I go rambling, sure. by the way. Wine plus- Consciousness topic equals ramble. Yeah, I mean, whatever. We can continue. Okay, I was gonna also drift apart. Did you set that timer for takeout food? By the way. Oh yeah, I did. Okay, so if you hear Yanka make a quick takeout order, we're keeping an eye on the time so we don't uh, <laughs> lose the ability to eat dinner after we <laughs> record. So, who am I? Is a question. Well, I meant like self identity, right? Yeah. When when you say what's the definition of something or what it is, like. You're trying to pin it down, right? You're trying to encapsulate it with some concept that if it changes in the next moment, then it's like, well, what have you actually encapsulated, right? So it's called like the self-identity problem, right? Mm -hmm. First off, we don't feel identical to our bodies, right? We feel like we have a body. If my arm gets cut off, that's a shame, but I lost my arm. It's not like um, Luke minus arm. Like I don't think of it like I'm less of a self. I just think I'm less of a physically able person, but I'm not less of a self. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Then there's a whole problem of like, okay, am I something constant that endures through time? Okay, what is there anything about you that's constant that endures through time? Do you know the Heraclitus, the ancient Greek philosopher? Heracles. 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 Um, the only thing constant is change, right? If anyone who also speaks Turkish listening, hopefully that helped. It's a really famous one. <laughs> and then the, the, it's also phrased as no man steps in the same river twice because it's not the same river and he's not the same man, right? 
the point being, if everything is always changing, that's one of the fundamental, um, you know, uh, underpinnings of Buddhism too, right? And much of Eastern philosophy. What, what, is there something constant inside of you that's not changing, that's looking at the change happen around you? I think so. I mean, also, who am I to answer any of these? But I'm just saying. Oh, I'm asking you, like, personally. I'm not okay, saying. No, like, I don't think so. I think everything is changing every second inside of me. It depends, like, on, uh, I don't know, cellular level, like, just very physically or also well, very, Well, certainly like, physically everything's changing, but I'm saying. I'm just saying, I understand. I'm okay. saying also both physically and also, um, what, what's the word? Like, Subjectively the opposite. Or? I would say so, yeah. Like, my perception of things change all the time i think i mean you've meditated enough that you have collided with the disturbing fact that consciousness is not as calm as we think it is when we sit down and just pay attention to consciousness it's a mess it's just constant thoughts arising passing away to pulling you here there i was listening to a, a podcast today with dan harris who started that 10 percent happier meditation app mm -hmm. and he he had such a funny way of phrasing it. He's like, you know, people sit down the first time to meditate and they think it'll be calming and whatever. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, I got to send that email. Oh, I got to like reply. Oh yeah, my mom's going to be pissed at me. because." Uh, and you, and then on the fifth one, he's like, I wonder what Casper the ghost was before he became a ghost. Like, <laughs> oh, I want pizza. Oh, tacos, you know, like. And then you just start to get like pissed at yourself. Like, yeah. So I think that that conversation inside the head, that sort of constant poking of thoughts from different modules inside your head, right? Mm -hmm. It's like your mind is made up of these different sub-personalities that are always like poking at you to get your attention. And like one of them is like worried about important things like, oh, is this person pissed at me or whatever? But a lot of them are like, oh, you should get pizza tonight. <laughs> Have you seen Inside Out? No. Is that the animation one? Yeah. Okay, I've it's, heard of it. It's incredible. I, I don't think it's a kid's movie. Like anyone that's listening to us, go watch it. Like I absolutely don't think like I saw Well, thought, a lot of those are like, yeah. they, they, they are kids movies, in particular, but it's kind of dark. I've never seen it. Is this one darker than like Up or something? It's not really dark. It's just such a like relatable situation for like, what happened is like I went with my brother when he was little, I think. And what he was laughing at or like what he was feeling weird about, like was it absolutely something completely different than what I was like getting from yeah, the movie so is what I mean. It, yeah, right? exactly. But anyway, in, inside out, like it's similar, like their their sadness, whatever, anger, this, that. I mean, they obviously It's an animation it. where they they split the emotions into these different like little characters yeah, you have inside the head. Different characters in your brain, like you were saying, like yeah. different personality. I'll link that article too. I just wrote an article like a couple weeks ago about the modular model of consciousness, and it's an actual evolutionary way of looking at psychology where you say, okay, it's likely that the brain didn't un uh, didn't evolve in some unified way, but it's actually a bunch of subcomponents that became specialized, right? One of them drives you to have sex. One of them drives you to eat. One of them drives you to be thirsty. In fact, when that module is misfunctioning, malfunctioning, <laughs> um, uh, it you can actually just keep drinking water until you die. There's like a condition where that part of your brain just doesn't stop firing and you drown yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you drink too much water, you can die. Yeah. Um, and we've all felt like the modules poke at us if we, again, you need some mindfulness to notice this, right? But like last night we were sitting on the couch and you know, we ate dinner and then made some nachos. And then like 20 minutes go by and I felt this this poking at my brain. Like, like I, it was just like the sensation of putting more food into my mouth, you know? It's not even at the level of language. It's just kind of nudging you. It's poking you in that way, right? Mm -hmm. And so the idea with mindfulness is you can be like, okay, I'm not any one of these modules. I'm sort of just watching this, symph not symphony, this cacophony of modules, like trying to get your attention, you know? Mm -hmm. you're, you're, you know, late for work, yet, you know, the, you know, do this or do that and makes you extra late, like stop at 7-Eleven and get a, a donut and a coffee module overpowers you and then you're late for your first day at work or so, I don't know, I, you know, that's never happened to me. I don't we eat donuts play. in the morning. Um, anyways. Anytime. So it's like, we feel like we're some unchanging presence in the middle of consciousness, right? For most people, they would say they feel like they're behind their eyes looking out at the world. 
okay, so my body's aging. I've noticed a few more gray hairs as I'm as I'm aging, right? I feel a lot older than when the pandemic began. That's for sure. In fact, when I try to conceptualize time, like in, in this, like if I'm confusing summers, like I was thinking of, I was, I was writing something on a resume or whatever. And then the date of when I did something, I was like, what? Oh, that was only last summer. Like this current summer just happened to feel like a year. Yeah. Whatever. Um, but we aren't actually, there isn't actually some center to consciousness when you pay more attention, right? So it's an illusion. That's what we mean by the word illusion. Not that there's no reality to it. There is a reality to it, just like anything that emerges out of anything. When you watch a movie, it's just a bunch of light on the screen, right? Mm -hmm. But is it just a bunch of light on the screen? Well, no, when I sit on my couch, it looks like Harry Potter or it looks like The Godfather, which we've been watching, right? It looks like something. Mm -hmm. But if I were to pay attention enough, I could realize that I'm being fooled by an optical illusion and that the reality is there's a two-dimensional screen with a bunch of complicated pixels changing color at just the right, you know, um, coordination, mm -hmm. right? So it, did you see that square with the circles illusion? Oh. I'll post a link to this. It's just one example of how this concept of, um, you know, being a self is an illusion. And it's just, it's called the Kinesia illusion. And so you're looking at the four circles, right? And they sort of have a white square on top of it or so it, th so it, so it seems, right? Is there really a white square there? Well, no, there's just four circles, each with a cutout little sliver from each circle. But your brain, there's neurons in a region of the brain, of the brain's visual cortex known as V4, and they fire off when this particular shape hits your eyes and it creates this illusion of boundaries where there's a square, right? Mm -hmm. And then I'll link a YouTube video to this where if you play through the animation, they turn the circle slightly so that your brain can't make a square in the, in the absent space and all of a sudden it, it goes away and you'll actually feel your brain and you've probably seen these illusions before where like they just mess with something and then you see nothing and then when it lines up the right way, all of a sudden your brain like pops in something that makes sense, yeah. right? Remember how Yami would change into Laurel? Exactly. The, in one split second. The, the Yami Laurel thing from um, a couple years ago, uh, it, it was sort of like different frequencies make your brain hear different things. And that, the point is you're actually building reality inside your head, right? You're not hearing sounds. Your eardrum is vibrating and you're building a subjective representation of sound. Mm -hmm. You're not seeing things. You're... Eyeballs are getting hit with photons. There's some kind of logarithmic reaction between the code, cone cells and the rod cells, and that gets converted into an electrical signal that, again, our complex visual systems make into things, and those can easily be fooled, right? Mm -hmm. Would you say that square is real in this illusion? Well, no, because if I look closely enough, I'll realize that there's no actual square there. I can just be fooled if I'm not paying attention that there's a square there. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess so. It's just one one way of thinking about it. Another way is the optic blind spot. That's like a in your peripheral vision, you have a lot of, you, you don't see as much as you think you see. And there's something called the optic blind spot. And you can like put a dot on a piece of paper and move it across your vision and actually notice it. But in normal, distracted life, you don't notice that you have a blind spot because your brain's actually filling in the details. Yeah, Your eyes are only in one place at a time and they dart around, right? But your vision still looks consistent. So your brain's roughly assuming what's up there is still up there, but it's, it's building that not from an actual, um, you know, you, you only have color vision like really well and like just the center of your eyes is what I mean. Mm -hmm. So you just assume over there is still over there. And this optic blind spot exists and you can find it in any moment, but when you're just distracted looking out at the world, you don't notice it. So the illusion of the self is sort of like that. It's always there to be seen. It's actually right on the surface. You just have to pay attention in the right way. So when we say the self is an illusion, I don't mean you're not real. You're Yanka, you're a person, right? You have a specific set of life experiences and DNA that made you you, and 
that's going to carry you through to the future. There's nothing constant about you, right? But you're still a you, right? But for you, <laughs> for you, the feeling of I, right? The feeling of being in your head, that's what I'm saying is an illusion that can go away. And so this is what a lot of people think of as like the final destination of meditation and stuff where you're like arriving at this, you know, I've, 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 all right, regular mindfulness, fine. I've already done that. Now I'm really getting at it, right? Mm -hmm. And I have to like sit in a cave and, and build up all this concentration for months and months and years and years. But actually like the way Sam Harris teaches meditation is in his waking up app, he puts this front and center. He, he gives it mm -hmm. to you right away. And this is like, um, I guess it's a Zochen practice, like that particular meditation style where you meditate often with your eyes open and you just try to play with your visuals and you realize, for example, let's say, as long as you're not driving listening to this, you can try this wherever you are right now. Just stare at the wall in front of you or a desk or whatever's there. And somewhere in the empty space, so on top of the desk or just painted on the wall, think of a shape like, and, and imagine that shape just floating right on that wall or on that desk. Didn't we do this at some point with like, Tomatoes, I'm sorry. Did yeah, I make I that can, up? Yeah, yeah. I think I used the example of a tomato on the table, right? It was a video that was guiding us. Oh, it was probably Sam Harris's video then. Okay. So yeah, you're looking at something in the world and you think it's very real because you see it. But then you go, okay, I'm just imagining a, a pumpkin sitting on the desk, yeah. right? Which is very interesting because like, that's the form of meditation that I did not get involved. Like also I tried like once or twice and then... I'm, I but, intellectually understand like what is supposed to happen, but like it just wasn't happening to me. And then like I'm doing more of like traditional feel the breath, like, you know, just listen to your body, like get rid of the thoughts. kind Which of is not bad. So yeah, yeah you're, you're imagining a pumpkin on the desk. And, and then you can sort of have this quick moment and these moments happen pretty quickly and it takes, does take time to build up enough concentration to sustain this realization just like when you look at an optical illusion, it can flip right back to what it was, right? You see it for a second, it flips right back. So you can sort of realize in your brain that when you put the image of a pumpkin on your desk or a tomato, whatever object you chose, you don't see it in the same way that you see the desk, but you can sort of see it there, right? And then you realize that the desk and the tomato are in the same location. Mm -hmm. You're not projecting a tomato onto the desk. There's a desk in your visual cortex and there's a tomato trying to be in your visual cortex, but it's in the same location. Does that make sense? Yeah, one is not like unreal as the other one. One's not in your head and kind the other of, one's yeah, out there. That's what I try to say. They're Thanks both the in your head. Yeah, right? exactly. And so that's, that's, um, the, that's a way, one technique to lose the sense of self. You, you collapse the objective and the subjective, mm -hmm. right? So I feel like I'm in my head, I'm a subject looking out at a world of objects. Mm -hmm. And you can visually collapse that by realizing that the objects are just part of your subjective experience. Mm -hmm. What's the reason to sustain this form of a meditation? I would ask. Um, decent question. So the first, first thing, if you were talking to a Buddhist, they would say, because that's truth. That's the truth of experience. And if you're interested in seeking the truth and a source of suffering, right? you might want to get underneath. In other words, if this illusion of the self is one of the main causes of suffering in life, that's a pretty good reason, right? Yeah. Just like they say, attachment to the external. I understand what right? you mean, yeah. I'm just saying, um, like I understand in that aspect, but then the question is like, why would you wanna like blur the lines of like, what's, quote unquote real what's like just look i think there's a truth to the fact that it's a little bit too destabilizing for some people yeah for me i kind of like to just take consciousness for a ride and like i've had <laughs> some really crazy meditations where um I, I i think of it like the more you know focus you build up you can get underneath layers of concepts right like a concept like i have a body I don't know how I have a body. I don't know directly. I don't have direct proof that I have a body. I have sensations that feel like a body, 
right? But again, I don't have subjective proof of that, right? So it's just kind of getting underneath layers. I mean, the first layer just for self-improvement and mindfulness is to stop believing the stories that your mind tells you. Sure. You realize like things just arise and pass away and half of them are fucking crazy thoughts, right? Um, if you sit down to meditate and you don't think you're crazy, you know, like you don't notice, you're you're not doing it right, you know? Yeah, I know. You should notice like, oh my God, my mind's doing that. Like, yeah. you know, the jealous mind, the hungry mind. Or you're mind. like very advanced and they don't even like rise or appear or something. I think that's more rare though. The more common answer you hear from meditation experts is that they have that that the mind is still going, but they live in a different place in the mind, right? So um, by the way, this concept, th this w the word for this in the Pali language, which is like what the Buddhist texts were written in, right? Is anatta, which means non-self, right? One of the main differences between Buddhism and Hinduism, which, because we, it's, you're, the, Buddhism is saying there's nothing essential about you, meaning there's no essence to you, no soul, right? There's nothing separate. There's just the, the everything, right? Um, and the word dukkha, the suffering, right? It's I think it's the first noble truth, right? Mm -hmm. It really means, I mean, it gets translated as suffering. It means more unsatisfying or unsatisfactoriness that, that life is unsatisfying. Mm -hmm. You get tricked into the illusion of wanting things, thinking once I get them, then I'll be happy. You're happy for a very brief moment and then evolution wired us to become unhappy. Why? Because we probably need to be motivated to go do more shit yeah. so that we live, right? If we stayed permanently happy after we ate, we wouldn't be worried about looking at the clock for our takeout food, right? <laughs> right, because it, we, we should eat some food so that we can stay alive, right? That's a good, and it makes sense that evolution gave us that. But it also means that psychologically, life is always unsatisfying. We can never have anything permanently. You die, everyone you know dies, everything changes. You can't hold on to anything permanently. Like, that's pretty bad, right? So this other concept of there isn't even an I to hold on to anything permanently is getting underneath a, a layer of illusion in consciousness that at least allows you to suffer less, right? If only for moments at a time. Now, I submit that everyone, almost everyone has had a lot has had at least a few experiences of non-self in their life. They just maybe didn't notice it. Yeah. So can you think of a moment where you're playing violin in a concert and then the feeling of being an ego inside your own head goes away and there's just the flow of consciousness? Yeah, of course. I can think of a lot of moments, but also not Did even just that. Did you know it that. in the moment or was it just happening? It was just happening. Also, yeah. a lot of the times, maybe this is like a bad way of experiencing it when you space out or something. That's also... Ah, yeah. yes. Like you're just also... So every time you're lost in yeah. thought, you're actually... Exactly. I, I think you're actually experiencing non-self. Yeah. But the problem is you're not paying attention, right? Yeah. So meditation is all about pay, learning how to pay attention in the right way. And then once you can stabilize your attention, you can choose what, what to look at. You can just focus it on the breath. You can focus it on sensations in the body. You could do loving kindness meditation where you try to bring up certain emotions of love and compassion for loved ones and, and then even your enemies, right? I tell everyone like, you know, most people I know who are left-leaning politically, like, you know, it would be a really healthy thing for you to do a loving kindness meditation for Donald J. Trump. <laughs> And people freak. I draw my line, Luke. Sorry. <laughs> That's what everyone says, but yeah. I promise you, like you have to Are choose the person. Are you sitting down and meditating for Trump on a daily basis? Come on. No, not on a daily basis. But I've sat down and and I can very easily get my mind to the place of like that poor guy. Like he's so lost, you know, and he's so desperate for love that he's become this, you know, the creature that he is. I can I can get there pretty quickly, and I think it's a healthy thing for yourself, but also it it. It, it makes you a more compassionate and loving person in the world, right? Um, so you can stabilize your attention on any of those things. But the idea of non-self is that you decide to try and use that um, spotlight of attention to look for the spotlight. Does that make sense? Yeah. So when I say close your eyes 
and pay attention to your breath, you can do that. And then I say, where are you paying attention from? Then you start to realize, okay, I feel like I'm this spotlight of attention, attention, right, inside the head. And I'm aiming it out. I can aim it at a TV if I'm watching TV, or I could close my eyes and aim it at the feeling of my breath, you know, maybe at the tip of my nose or something. But then you say, okay, I'm going to try to turn this spotlight around to illuminate the spotlight. Mm-hmm. I know in the, the metaphor kind of breaks down like you, as soon as you turn the spotlight around, you're, what are you looking at, right? Yeah. So the idea is you turn the spotlight around to look for the spotlight and what you see behind you is infinity. <sighs> you know, something like that. Um, I don't know. Have you managed to have the experience in meditating at all where you like, and again, it happens very momentarily and it takes much more skill to stabilize this. And there are people who would say they, you know, sometimes walk around for a whole day with, with, with the feeling of not having a head. Douglas Harding is this philosopher that wrote a whole thing called On Having No Head. And it was- no mushrooms or something. Well, psychedelics can <laughs> induce this. Um, we can talk about psychedelics. It's one surefire way to realize to peel away illusory layers of consciousness and see what's truly there in terms of pure experience. Um, anyway, I'll answer your question. Yeah. Without any psychedelics involved, I've never had it. Mm-hmm. Just sitting down and like, because I, mean, I, not that I haven't tried, I kind of tried, but it's something that the difference I between very can't having it like in a performance and having it while meditating is that, And I've had that happen in a performance a lot, especially when something goes wrong, you know? And then all of a sudden you realize, I'm not going to be able to calculate how to stay together with the other two trumpets here, or I won't calculate where to jump, you know, something something primal in your brain takes over. You go into like a flow state and the sense of ego goes away and it's just, you're just doing, you're, you're not the person doing the thing. There's just action, right? Mm-hmm. But even then, you're 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 sort of not just sitting there trying to pay attention to what consciousness feels like when that happens. But in meditation, when you successfully turn attention back on itself, you can have these brief little flashes of like the sense of being a self goes away. And for me, it almost feels like like a drain opens up at the bottom of my head, and this feeling of being in my head is replaced with just like this wide everything. Like I have no body. It's just it's just tingling and sounds and temperature and and I'll I'll tell you when I have that. You know, sometimes you will wake up and for a second can't really figure out like your surroundings, like if you, which room you're in or something, like something from sleeping? Yeah, like in the middle of the night. Have you ever had that? Like where you're like it takes you like legit like five, ten seconds to figure out like which room you're in, like what position, like are you lying down? Are you standing up? Like what are you? Like oh. you're this thing, but like you I don't even you're not grounded in your body. my body. Yeah, exactly. That's part of it, I think. Yeah. I think I haven't <laughs> only in those moments. I couldn't really induce it. So there's different techniques too. Like I would say y- you would probably want to just try this technique of as you're sitting there mindfully noticing your breath and you're saying, I am aware of the breath, right? And then try to just step back and see what is aware of the breath, right? And ultimately what happens is if you can stabilize it, and I've never really stabilized it for more than just a few seconds at a time, Mm -hmm. but you sort of realize that all there is is awareness. It's, It's not centered anywhere, right? your consciousness is not inside your head. The idea of you having a head is inside of consciousness, right? For example, if you just imagine like the front of your head, and then you're moving through your head to the back of your head, right? All of that was still just in the same subjective space of consciousness, right? Yeah. It's outside of your head, right? Um, now, do you actually have a head? Yeah, of course, right? Again, unless we're in a simulation, you these things are real in, in a scientific sense. Yeah. But we're talking subjectivity. Um, and just literally, there's no place in the brain for a self to exist, right? Mm-hmm. Where would it be? In that middle area that they've never found, right? 
So the brain is a symphony of all these different modules and complex networking and certain, there's probably a timing to consciousness, right? The, in other words, uh, brain waves happen in a certain frequency, right? Someone in a coma has a different brain wave pattern than somebody who's awake. Somebody who's asleep has a different alpha pattern, whatever it's called, right? Mm -hmm. The brain waves actually change. So there's something about that, right? Mm -hmm. When someone's in a coma and then they wake up, what happened? We don't exactly know, right? Yeah. Um, did they feel that time? Did they still have a sense of self, right? Yeah. So I think you're right that people have experienced this without realizing it. And meditation is about um, sort of sitting down consciously to try to look for yourself. And it's not just to, to play games with your mind and try and mess yourself, you know, mess with yourself. It's more so that you can sort of see more truthfully what consciousness is. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Like, I think the point of it is we suffer so much because we don't just have the sensations that are negative, right? Whether we're in pain or imagining something in the future or reminiscing on something from the past. We we extra suffer because we, we you know, loop that back to like, I'm suffering, right? And And if you can just sort of realize from in, in any moment that you have the superpower to be able to just step back and realize that there's no separateness experiencing the thing. There's just the experience of it. And it becomes much less of a, a problem, I think. You don't take things as seriously. I'm not having a thought. A thought popped into my consciousness. We take ownership of our thoughts so easily. We feel like we think our thoughts. I think you just answered my earlier question about why would someone force themselves to like meditate in this way or something. Well, ultimately it's to discover the truth, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's just a practical way. Like imagine anger, right? If you pay close attention to anger, it initially arises often in the body. Then immediately your brain starts building a story about why it's justified and who's to blame. And almost always it's the externals, right? If you actually can um, have, so there's mindful awareness, right? That helps. You go, oh, anger's arising, let me be mm -hmm. careful. But what this is called, when you realize there's non-self, it's called non-dual awareness. It's still awareness, but there's no center to consciousness. There's no one who is angry. When you hear a sound, like if you're just sitting in nature, you hear a sound, ask yourself, you're hearing birds chirp, right? Ask yourself, there's sound, Who's hearing the sound? I just did that meditation today. Joseph Cole seems like um, in Alaka Harris's website, right? Mm -hmm. um, so he was um, doing a guided meditation and that was like the first thing that he was like making you do. Okay, like now just listen for the sounds around you and like who's hearing those or something. And then someone happens to play, play the piano like, the next door or something and then it was just so interesting like what i had was something i think i can maybe like the closest i can get to having like i don't hear like where where is i that's hearing the sound feeling yeah. like i'm having such a hard time but i would always whenever i hear some form of instrument i will always hear the names of the notes like when i'm listening to it and then i was able to like i think disassociate me enough that i stopped having that for a split second and that's like already a good success that's a layer back yeah yeah, yeah that's what i mean I probably normal like people didn't really understand anything from what i just said but maybe maybe not i mean again <laughs> the, the problem with meditation stuff is to people that aren't really into it or haven't tried it it really doesn't make a lot of sense. It's something you have to subjectively experience, right? Mm -hmm. But that's why I like to call it a subjective science. Like if I tell you a scientific theory that, oh, here's a principle I've discovered about the world. Well, you can go test it yourself. If I say this is the equations for gravity, you can throw some shit off of a roof and measure it and confirm whether I'm right or not, right? Mm -hmm. This is more of a subjective science, right? it turns out what's great about a lot of this Buddhist psychology stuff is it lines up with modern psychology, right? Mm -hmm. It's like so well, like modular model of consciousness. Well, Buddhists talk mm -hmm. about that, right? Yeah. The jealous mind, the angry mind, then split it. So, so many things about um, 
in, in modern neuroscience and psychology are just confirming what these ancient philosophies discovered subjectively thousands of years ago, right? Yeah. So this not self thing, it makes sense scientifically because there's no place in the brain for yourself to be, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it also makes sense that it could just be a random mishap of evolution, right? Snakes do just fine. I doubt they have a sense of self, right? <laughs> yeah. They probably have consciousness in some kind of dim way. Um, or maybe it's a, a, a good product of evolution because by being a separate ego, we care so much, right? Mm -hmm. And we make our lives so important and we survive, right? So that could be a thing too. But, you know, it's 2020, right? So we're allowed to not just go with our programming and and play with our wires a little bit to realize how the mind works and that we you know we're not a separate ego that has this you know self-referential like I'm angry you know mm -hmm. is that the takeout timer oh yeah it is <laughs> all right we got to order some takeout food all right I'll hit pause on the recording and um, <laughs> or no you just order takeout sure what are you eating <laughs> didn't I already say Oh, the usual. All right. <laughs> please pick up. Hi, can I um, order for takeout, please? Uh, hello, can you hear me? Oh, sorry. Hi, um, I muted myself. Sorry, by accident. Um, can I order for takeout, please? Um, I, uh, what do you want? All right, let's finish this bad boy up. God, and, uh, I was speaking so fast. Like my brain, he was like rapping in the phone. That's why I was like, my brain started <laughs> breaking and I was hearing you. My, he said 10 minutes. Perfect. All right. Let's, we've got 10 minutes to, to put a little, a little uh, bow tie on this podcast episode. Um, so another thing that I've felt personally, but I could imagine is you tell someone, hello, you're a human. Yes, you're this very intelligent, you know, primate and you know we obviously resemble monkeys like that's not a crazy thing for someone to believe if they haven't thought about the fact that we evolved along you know the same at lines as primates like you know whatever good luck to you if, if if you're not okay with that um and then you go to like more and more layers of sort of poking at the things we just assume to be true but when you pay more attention they're not really true anymore right and i think it's fair to say things you know, if you pay more attention to something, right, give it more high definition focus, right, study it more, you'll discover a, a more truthful things about it, right? So I'm not saying that the feeling of a self is not real. I'm saying that it's it's not what you think it is because when you go and look for it and pay close attention to it, it's not there. Mm -hmm. And it is a little bit disturbing, like my body rejects it. I'm still working on trying to accept and sit with the, the non-dual awareness for more, again, more than just a second or two. I, I sort of get it in these flashes mm -hmm. when you manage to successfully turn attention back on itself and you, and you see that there's nothing there. There's like a flash of like... You kept saying this exactly with this wording to me when we were trying it together. Yeah. And this is something that I absolutely cannot relate with, which is sad. Well, I mean, I'm sure it's, it's going to come with more practice. If you just try it for a little bit every day, yeah. um, it will happen once and you'll be like, what the fuck was that? See, like I... Really can't relate, but. And then there's the intellectual side of it, right? So I feel like I have more of an intellectual understanding of the self being an illusion. I've had the experience, I've thought about it, and it makes so much sense that there can't be anything separate to myself. And then even when I'm just sitting on the couch watching TV, if I decide I want to have an attempt at like non-dual awareness, I can usually find it for a moment or two where I realize it's all it's all just arising in the mind, right? Mm -hmm. But I think there's a fear to that too. Um, my body seems to reject it out of that fear. You know, I want to be a thing. Yeah, I am a thing. I'm over here. Look at me, you know? We're but there is no over here. That's just another concept. Programmed, quote unquote, to... Feel so goddamn important, right? <laughs> yeah, or like just having this feeling of self very attached to your bodily sensations and everything. well we feel like we have a body right but then we are our body you'll realize that the sense of your breath 
and the tingling in your fingers and the the toothache you might have and the itch on your back, they're all arising in the same location. Man, the I map of your started. body is yet another concept. I started tripping right now. Uh oh. Wine plus this. <laughs> exactly. Concept. I'm like, oh. You're going to walk and go pick up the takeout food and, and be like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, do you remember this quote? I've said it a few times. It's by like um, one of these Tibetan lamas, Kalu Rinpoche. And it was the response to the fear of being nothing, right? The question is if I tell you, the feeling of you being a self doesn't exist. Am I telling you you're nothing? In a way, right? I'm saying the thing you think is you doesn't exist, right? Consciousness still exists. But <laughs> so um, his response was something along the lines of, you know, you are something and nothing, right? To say you are one completely or the other completely misses the point. So he said, quote, you live in illusion and the appearance of things. There is a reality, but you do not awaken to it. When you see it, you will realize you are nothing. And being nothing, you are everything. everything. That is all. And it's sort of like a lot of these uh, lamas kind of like um, have have some of these quotes that seem to encapsulate the whole spiritual proje project in one little quote, you know? And um, it's a paradox, right? How can I be something and nothing? They, they completely conflict with each other. If I said it's nighttime and it was daytime, it's nighttime, but it's daytime. You, you're like, what? But it's mm -hmm. of course it is nighttime here and it's daytime in Australia, right? You are something and you are nothing. It depends on what you're paying attention to, right? Yeah, I mean. If you're everything, that means you're also nothing because if you're everything, then there's no boundary that would separate you from everything else, right? Does that make sense? Ah, uh, I don't know. My brain is like. How could a you be a thing? Like, what makes you separate from the world? And what we've said is, if you try to look for yourself and try to take away the layers of concepts that makes you think you're separate, you realize that you're made of the same stuff, and it's just all this field of vibrations and energy and and things arising in consciousness. And so you're not a separate thing. You're I, not something. Yes. I I follow what you're saying. But you're not nothing either. You're everything, right? Mm -hmm. And, and of course, the brain sort of breaks with these paradoxes when you get down to the the, the deep layers of things, right? Um, the spiritual way that Jack Kornfield, one of our favorite meditation teachers, he says, wisdom says I am nothing, right? Meaning the intellect, when you try to look for your ego, says I am nothing. Mm -hmm. But love says I am everything, mm -hmm. right? And it's sort of like, that's why they teach awareness in meditation circles now. They teach it as loving awareness, because you don't want to just like intellectualize it and just be like this, this sociopathic detached robot that's like, you know, I don't exist, no one exists, nothing matters. You know, that's kind of Matthew McConaughey in that true detective, right? <laughs> yeah. You have to bring in love into the equation. Wisdom says I am nothing, but love says I am everything. And the tension between those two is, is my life, something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, don't be afraid of paradox. Jack says, uh, we are creatures of paradox. Buddhist teachings aren't trying to get rid of something. It's about waking up to something, to step out of an illusion so you can go through your day with more of an open heart, you know, of compassion and loving kindness and that kind of stuff. When you realize you're not really as separate as you thought you were, you pay much more attention to other things in the world rather than your own, you know, neuroses, you know? Mm -hmm. Like they just don't capture your attention anymore because there's no one there to be captured. I've heard the, the Buddhist myth that um, uh, this version of enlightenment is not getting rid of thoughts, right? But realizing that there's no one to be affected by them, right? Yeah. So they say it's like thieves entering an empty house. Your mm -hmm. thoughts are like thieves. They come in, try to disturb things and take things. And there's nothing there to take. There's no one there, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then I found a, a Carl Jung quote today that just fit this perfectly. He said, Nothing so promotes the growth of consciousness as the inner confrontation of opposites. Does that make sense? Wait, say it again. Nothing so promotes the growth of consciousness as the inner confrontation of opposites. It's from um, Carl Jung's Memories, Dreams, and Reflections. Okay. Did you write this anywhere? I want to just... Oh, found it. Okay. I just need... You to wanted see to see it. it visually? Yes. Nothing so promotes the growth of consciousness as the inner confrontation. 
meaning what we are just trying to confront the the op- the tension between I'm I am I something but I'm nothing yeah. right mm-hmm. and I'm everything right like th- this this sort of like what do we even mean by those words you know maybe language fails us um, but it's like I think at the root of of the spiritual traditions is this confrontation of opposites right mm-hmm. um, I mean and it almost makes too much sense when you think about the psychology of our brain. It's like we have a right hemisphere and a left hemisphere. Perhaps what we are is this tension pulling us between competing things, right? Mm -hmm. And um, Niels Bohr, who was a famous physicist, expressed this by saying, there are trivial truths and there are great truths. The opposite of a trivial truth is plainly false. The opposite of a great truth is also true. Dude, I don't understand English in things like that this like just it doesn't register mature to my brain it doesn't register with the impact right yes i'm like what <laughs> you're the like fuck? yeah you like, said a bunch of words no i mean i obviously understand but like i need like five minutes with this and then be like oh i see what you mean like anyway that's my personal i thought. think it means like if i said like i spilled the wine saying i didn't spill the wine is plainly false right But a great truth is something like, you know, you know, you are nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Or um, you should be open to new ideas. That's a pretty deep truth, right? Guess what else is also true? You should be weary, uh, wary of of being open to new ideas yeah. and stick to what you already know, because maybe those ideas are stupid and they'll they'll kill you, right? <laughs> and so the point is, like, there, it's the tension between opposites that that I think when you get down to the deeper layers of consciousness, you realize you're in this tug of war and that it's not, there are resolutions to those, but most of them involve you not existing anymore, right? And this non-dual awareness is a sort of way to resolve this tension between subjective and objective. And you realize like, I have no proof that the objective world exists. I can only talk about my experience. Am I making any sense? Yeah, yeah. This is kind of a hard podcast topic. Um, And especially if anyone listening hasn't experimented with what's called non-dual awareness, um, I'll I'll link a lot of things in the episode notes that you can at least try it out. I think that Joseph Goldstein one is probably the best one. In fact, that's the first time I've had this glimpse at the Mm non-dual experience of consciousness. I was sitting in my old living room and he just, the way he asked the question, right, I'm hearing sounds, and he said, notice the sounds, and I heard, like, some birds outside, probably, and and then he just said, who's hearing the sound? And I was able to just turn attention to actually try to look for the center, and there was nothing there, and, and then it, it quickly came back, and I was like, I'm in my living room, in my head, like, whatever. <laughs> but just for a moment, I, I was like, oh, okay, there's something here, mm-hmm. right? And the point is, you don't have to climb up a mountain of you know experience in meditation and build up all this momentum to be able to experience this it's right on the surface of consciousness like any optical illusion you just have to have some patience to try and look in the right way right yeah um so yeah that i i just wanted to do a topic on this it's i always cool i like wish to I had- force myself to try and um express concepts like this more verbally cuz they mostly live in more of this ethereal, non-wordy, you know, version in my brain. Yeah. Um, but I would say the conclusion is that at the end of the day, when you get underneath the layers and concepts and distractions and illusions of consciousness, there's just consciousness and its contents. There's awareness, right? Mm-hmm. And the things that pop into awareness. That's it. Yes. There's- Tomato and the table is from the same place basically exactly and tomato and table are just empty concepts too yeah. right they they're that's they're boundless and they're this. just part of everything that's that's the clip we'll make tomatoes and tables are boundless anything else it's no. about time we go get our takeout Hi. So. all right thanks for um <laughs> struggling through this with me <laughs> <laughs> say it come on Ooh, bye bye thanks for listening All right, thanks for listening to this episode of Exploring Kodawari. If you enjoyed it, we hope you'll consider sharing it on social media and with friends. You can also help us out by leaving a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Those help us more than you would think. 
And if you'd like to help us out in a more substantial way, consider going over to our website to make a donation through PayPal. Links are in the episode notes for this. You can do this as a one-time donation or a recurring monthly donation. All of that support will help us to set aside time in order to create content for the podcast and the blog. And finally, please get in touch with us and say hi, either on social media or privately through email. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and see you next time.